Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul. Today, we meet Bruce David Klein, the director of Icon, The Restless Billionaire, which is the HBO documentary about activist titan, Carl Icon. Bruce will tell us how he made the film and what inspired him to do it in the first place. But before that, we will quickly hear from Insightia's Head of Sales, Adam Riches, about our new website, Insightia One. Thank you for joining me, Adam. Happy to be here and, and excited for this momentous moment for Insightia. So why do we have this new platform? So the platform will be called Insightia One. The idea being that all of activist and proxy insights different data sets will finally be coming together under one single roof. It's the culmination of several years of work and offers users this unique solution for all of their governance, engagement and stewardship data needs. And what kinds of things are new? Well, in addition to a fresh new interface, there's countless new functionalities, including custom dashboards, an ESG portal, peer group selection, increased alert optionality and probably most importantly, cross-modular data, which will allow clients to gain a more comprehensive overview of a company or investor, as well as being able to generate far deeper and unique insights using Insightia One's enhanced searches, screens and outputs. It's also important to mention that all of the current data points and functionalities from the activist and proxy inside legacy platforms will be available on Insightia One. And of course, we've also changed to one magazine. That's correct. We've decided to bring Activist Insight Monthly and Proxy Monthly together to create Insightia Monthly, which will be accessible to all Insightia One subscribers, regardless of which module or modules they might take. The magazine will showcase the best data and analysis from the Insightia One platform, while providing expert commentary on key trends across activism, voting, short selling and ESG. So if I'm a client wanting to know more about the new platform, how do I go about that? So you can either contact your account manager directly or just email support at insightia.com in order to schedule a training session. We'll be sending out several emails to clients over the coming weeks that will contain login details, a brochure and training videos in order to ensure that disruption to clients' existing processes is kept to a minimum. Thank you, Adam. Very exciting times. Yeah, can't wait to get it out to clients and hear what everyone thinks. It's time for my chat with Bruce David Klein. Bruce is the president and executive producer of Atlas Media Corp and recently directed Icon, the restless billionaire. So welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Great to be here. Let's play a quick clip involving Carl and his wife Gail, Golden Icon. The first voice you'll hear is Bruce. What do you think drives him? <sighs> it isn't money. Strangely enough, you would think it would be money. I mean, it's nice that he can do it, but it's not money. He just becomes obsessed on something and he just keeps like a bulldog. He just keeps going and going until he gets what he wants, so... That's what drives him. It's I told him it's winning, I think. Competitive, just winning. Coming up with a new idea to beat the competitors. You know, we're going to be able to be the biggest and the best. That gets me excited. So this is the HBO documentary film, Icon, The Restless Billionaire. And it is available on HBO and HBO Max. 
And that clip is at his home desk. Can you describe what is actually on his desk for us? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he actually is interesting because he has, in a sense, home desks all over his various homes. So he has these kind of Carl stations where he has, you know, his reading glasses and where he has uh, sharpened pencils and pads and all that kind of stuff. In his office, uh, uh, the scene that you just saw, uh, he has some interesting kind of quirky items. Uh, I, you know, one that seems to be getting a lot of uh, uh, Twitter uh, reaction is his notebook, which on the cover says, people I want to punch in the face. Uh, there's also the plaque, uh, you know, it says Master of the Universe. You know, these are totems that people have given him over the years. He also uh, has a button on his desk that says bullshit. And when you press it, you have this robotic voice say bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the, the quirkier stuff. But really what's on his desk are piles and piles and piles of folders and P&L reports and research reports. I mean, you could look on his desk and find cross sections of carbon samples from oil field earth. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, that, that kind of gives you a flavor for the layout of his uh, typical desk. I promise you I don't have that, uh, such a button on this podcast recording. <laughs> no problem. You do. And of course, there's so many billionaires out there and lots of activist investors now, of course. So what attracted you to making a documentary about Carl Icahn in particular? Now, I've heard you say about his unique DNA. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm definitely drawn to people with unique DNA and particularly people who succeed way beyond his or her peers. It's like, you know, there are a lot of people that make hundreds of millions of dollars on Wall Street, a lot of billionaires, but there aren't many investors who have started with zero and made, you know, 16 to 20 billion dollars, depending upon the day. So I'm drawn to that, someone who succeeds beyond their peers, someone with unique DNA, and also somebody whose talent is a bit mysterious. Uh, what can they do that I can't? Why are they so beyond everybody else? And I think that's one of the things you ask yourself as you start this, which is, you know, was this guy lucky? He just did a couple of things and ended up going really well for him and, and making, you know, all this money. Or, or is there something unique about him? And I think that kind of is the catalyst to start unpeeling the onion uh, of somebody like him. So a really complex character who isn't always what he seems. And, and did you have to persuade him to do this? Did he originally say no? He, <laughs> anytime you interact with Carl, it is all about positioning. It is about debate. It is about hearty discussion. So when I first started talking to him about making a potential film about him, I think he very quickly understood that it could be fun to have somebody, you know, a professional documentarian dive into some of his stories and, and his deals, most importantly, his business deals, the strategy behind them, what happened. Uh, I think he was always less enamored from the very beginning, not understanding why you would want to see someone's personal life. Why do you want uh, to see me playing with my dogs or, or, or having breakfast with my wife or playing tennis? 
nobody would be interested in that. That became a lot of the push and pull. And so at the beginning, he was very reluctant to give us that side. But eventually, over time, when he sees that, you know, you're kind of more than just, you know, a a journalist that's going to write a newspaper article and then move on to something else, that you're really diving in to his life and to his work and you're researching things in his life that happened in 1962. Once he got a sense of that, he started getting a sense that documentarians, or more importantly, people who watch documentaries, are naturally interested once they see an interesting character, they're naturally curious about, well, what made him that way? Uh, Why is he able to do that? Why is he so tenacious? Why is he, you know, uh, feared? Why does he like that bullying kind of persona? And the natural question for somebody who watched a documentary, of course, is, well, why is he like that? And that we had to, therefore, probe the life, the personality. So the first year was a debate, the whole year. Uh, the debate was in meetings. The debate was in three-hour phone calls. Uh, why do you need to do this? Do you really need to do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I hopefully eventually uh, you know, convinced him how important you know, the full kind of 360 view of him would be. And uh, that's kind of from there, we kind of uh, developed. And a big part of that also was when we shot some footage of him at his house and we showed it to HBO and HBO was all in, you know, all supportive. Wow, this guy's really unique. We love seeing his deals. We love seeing his personal kind of life. That, I think, was kind of another rubber stamp uh, for Carl saying like, well, I guess people like this stuff. And that's kind of how it took off from there. So during these debates, tell me, did you get to call him Carl or was it always Mr. Icon? Actually, it was always Carl. And the reason is that when he walks into the room, he's a Carl. He's not a Mr. Icon. He kind of shuffles in the room and, you know, he's definitely not in like, you know, a $6,000 silk suit, perfectly tailored. He's, he could be a little schlumpy sometimes, you know, kind of, you know, walking in, shuffling in, sitting down and he's very approachable. And then he opens his mouth and you hear this very, very strong kind of uh, far rockaway Queens accent. And it just puts you at ease and and makes you feel like you're you could call him carl no problem and he certainly doesn't mind it and as you said dogs feature throughout the film he clearly loves them as well as tennis as well and i think that kind of really humanizes him doesn't it that when he's certainly when he's laying on the floor playing with his dogs yeah yeah it's funny well there there are two different things on the tennis side it's interesting because that does reveal a lot of who he is in the sense that That's probably, if I could point to one hobby that he has, one thing that he does other than work, it would be tennis. And as soon as he he, he enjoys it, he's light, he drives to the tennis court, he gets all ready, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as he picks up the racket and somebody starts, you know, serving to him, his face takes on this intensity. He's competitive. He's Carl Icahn. He is... I got to kill you. I got to create a serve that's going to blast through your tennis racket. You see that in him. In terms of the dogs, he loves animals. And this is something that has become more um, uh, public in the last couple of weeks because he's gone on record uh, about his support for pigs. 
fighting with uh, McDonald's Corporation to stop using gestational crates, which are apparently, uh, you know, many believe are cruel. And so animals, in many ways, he feels a deeper connection to than humans. He actually once even said something like that because he has some replica guns on his desk in on one of his desks. And I asked him, oh, you, do you like guns? He's like, no, they're just, you know, kind of props. You know, people gave them to me. I said, do you shoot? Do you hunt? He said, oh, my God, I would never do that in a million years. I would never kill an animal. Uh, it's intense. And the way that that expresses itself on a day to day basis is with his dogs. And he has, I believe, three uh, they are super cute uh, poodles. They jump around him. The one thing I always found interesting is that he's not like a cuddly, loving dog kind of guy. And I remember at one time, he loves giving them treats. When they run to him, he's like, okay, do tricks. I'll give you treats. But he doesn't necessarily like holding the treat and putting it in the dog's mouth where the dog's kind of mouth juices could get on him. <laughs> and and it's kind of interesting. He kind of like gets close to the dog's mouth and then kind of throws it in the mouth. And I think that maybe his germophobia or whatever it is, you know, I think at one point he said, you know, they've been all over New York City. I don't you know, their you know, mouths are a trash can or whatever. But he loves those dogs. He would kill for those dogs. And he would uh, really step in front of a bullet for those dogs. I mean, it is an, an interesting relationship. Will there be a documentary about the dogs? <laughs> there may very well be, certainly about the pigs at some point. It seems like that's where his interest is these days. Um, and on, on the, the documentary, you've got several uh, famous faces to provide anecdotes, including Bill Gates. What is it about Carl Icahn that fascinates these people so much? Well, I think one of the things we really push for early on is to ensure that everybody who is interviewed in the documentary is somebody who knows him, uh, somebody who really knows Carl, not just the journalist who has maybe interviewed him over the phone a couple of times uh, and written some stories, but somebody who's followed him for years, who's had dinner with him, who's uh, attended seminars, has interviewed him in public, someone who really, really knows him. So that was kind of our rule. So when we got to journalists, we obviously went with journalists who have covered Carl for a long time and kind of know him personally as well as business-wise, as well as people like Bill Gates. And Bill Gates is somebody who actually works with Carl. I mean, they, they not that he works with him necessarily on deals, but they talk fairly often, uh, the way I understand it. They exchange ideas. I think they really appreciate each other's minds. I think somebody like a Bill Gates and somebody like a Carl Icahn, who have very unique ways of thinking, uh, would really enjoy each other's company. And I think there also is this club that says, you, Bill, have done X. You, Carl, have done X. You've kind of, you know, proven yourself to be somebody who's unique. You know, we're both unique people. Let's talk. I know also that in the case of Bill Gates, uh, there has been some charitable stuff where I think um, Bill at one point was working on curing polio in Africa. And I think he called a handful of people to donate low key, under the radar, not publicly uh, to help the cause. And I know that Carl did. So um, I think people are drawn to people and personalities who go their own way. People who don't care what people think don't care what you think is right or wrong, 
don't care uh, what you're supposed to do, but who kind of break the eggshells and kind of forge their own path. You know, you certainly study somebody like Bill Gates. I mean, he did that his whole career. And so I can imagine somebody like him and Carl kind of uh, appreciating each other. Another example of that was uh, Oliver Stone, the director of Wall Street. And again, he didn't intimately know Carl per se, but he had some robust discussions with him as we uh, lay out in the movie as he was writing Wall Street. And he seemed to be kind of fascinated by Carl's kind of being this force of this new way of doing business on Wall Street, uh, where you have to kind of attack companies that are unproductive and, and poorly run, which was kind of very innovative. We think of that today, you know, as activism as well, it's always existed. It kind of didn't. And when Carl started doing it in the late 70s and early 80s, people didn't know what to make of it. It was a really radical, radical, unique way of thinking, of seeing the world, of seeing companies. It was a philosophy, a unique philosophy. And so I think that's also one of the things that, you know, would draw people to him is he didn't care. He did it his way. This is what he believed. And people are drawn to people like that. Um, now, I like this quote while driving around where he grew up with his daughter, Michelle. Carl says, my parents only made about 5000 a year, but that's all they would talk about. Maybe that's why they were so interested in money. They hated the rich people, but they were so into it. That's very striking. Yes, and it makes sense if you know where he grew up. So he grew up in far Rockaway, Queens, very working class, very, very modest. Uh, real Queens street life. You know, he was older, uh, you know, uh, uh, after the pressure, but, you know, he was born in 1936. So right across from Far Rockaway, uh, Queens, is where the county of Nassau County starts. And Nassau County, right over from Queens, there are some incredibly wealthy areas. Um, the Five Towns is one famous one. And his parents use that idea of the rich people in the Five Towns versus the, you know, salt of the earth people in Far Rockaway, Queens, as a kind of major point of discussion and debate, and quite frankly, of sarcasm. Uh, you know, those people over there in the rich areas, they were, you know, stealing money from their workers and that, you know, his parents were kind of socialists. His father was probably a communist. So they hated these, quote, rich people. But there was an element of they doth protest too much here because according to Carl, they kept railing against rich people and people who have money and big companies and blah, blah, blah. And yet they were so obsessed with it and so obsessed with money uh, at one point, Carl mentions that when they went out to dinner with other families or other couples, his mother would take the bill and be very mathematical in divvying it up. It was not like, hey, let's split this three ways, three couples. It was, okay, you had the hanger steak, you had the mashed potatoes, that was 12 cents, you had the, you know, and, and she would really, really drill into the money. So I think understanding this is kind of a major, major issue in Carl's life. Uh, this idea of feelings about wealth, jealousy of wealth, deriding wealth, uh, this kind of mix 
uh, clearly, you know, affected Carl tremendously. The final thing that kind of fit into this whole storyline was Carl's uncle, Elliot. He was definitely the most influential person in Carl's life. In fact, I once asked him that. He said, absolutely, Elliot. And Elliot was a guy who, it was his mother's uh, uh, brother, who lived with Carl during the war, and he lived like on the third floor of their house. So he grew up fairly modest. But Elliot was very smart. He went to Yale University. He was also very dapper, incredibly dapper guy. And very, very wealthy women were attracted to him. He always had wealthy women around him. And he married one of them and moved to a very wealthy town in Westchester outside of New York called Scarsdale. And Carl, when he's, you know, in his teens and whatever, goes up to see this uncle, uh, Elliot, in this kind of wealthy enclave of New York. And he's kind of blown away by the lifestyle. This doesn't seem so bad, you know, after his whole childhood being told that rich people are evil and, and that sort of thing. Eh, this, this seems okay to me. That mix, this whole, you know, protesting too much about wealthy people, deriding wealthy people, obsession with money, and the rich Uncle Elliot, I think all combined to instill in Carl a drive to make money. He also describes where his father, who was a cantor in the local synagogue, uh, told him, your mother has great talent in art. I have a great voice. We're both talented people. Now you, on the other hand, have absolutely no talent. I think it's fair to say that Cole did find his talent and is probably not finished yet, is he? Without question. Uh, of course, his father said that to him because his father and mother wanted him to be a doctor. So the theory was, well, you don't really have any talent, so be a doctor. That was kind of the idea. But yeah, I mean, I think from an early, early age, uh, he saw his ability, his machine-like ability with numbers, and that was his talent his ability to instantly have in his brain calculations of very, very complex nature to kind of distill the, the status or the, the position of a company. And that certainly is, you know, a talent that maybe he shares with a, a couple of other guys like Warren Buffett or whatever, but they have this ability to just read a P&L and just immediately crystallize What's wrong with the company? What's right with the company? Where the value is? It's a talent for sure. And how important was it, did you feel, to have the conversation he had live on television in 2013 with Bill Ackman? It's an extraordinary moment. The studio is broadcasting live at the Stock Exchange. You actually get the traders on the floor watching on screen. It's almost like a, a boxing match. They're sparring, but there's also like a crowd, i.e. The, the traders on the floor. Yeah, yeah. This is, you know, fit right into who Carl is, which is that he wants to set the record straight. It drives him crazy if somebody says, Carl Icahn believes XYZ. Now, he doesn't mind criticism. As you see, there's plenty of criticism of him in the film. What he minds is not being able to come back at the criticism. And I think that that forum live on TV, him versus Bill, was a classic, it just fit right into who Carl is, which is loving a good debate, wanting to express why he thinks the way he does, 
And it really, really was an extraordinary moment in so many ways. And obviously that discussion, debate, you know, confrontation battle went on for five or six years, even after that, which is incredible. Well, thank you for joining me today, Bruce. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. You know, make sure to uh, catch it on HBO Max, you know, tweet about it and, and talk about it because kind of in the spirit of Carl, that's kind of what he's about. He's a great lightning rod to discuss and debate a lot of really interesting issues about capitalism, about business, about corporations, about life and um, go to it. That's all for today. You know what you need to do now. Put the work laptop away, grab some popcorn, and watch Icon, the Restless Billionaire. I'm Kieran Paul. See you next time.